Good evening, Patriots, and it's the end of Tuesday, July 18th in the year 2023. You know, I said it in the previous show, and we also talked about it last night, but really the word that's just the operative word for right now is abide. But I think when we look at abide, we get into something much deeper, which is bridge building and healing as part of that walk. It also defines a lot of the way in which we talk about justice remembering that God's justice pivots off of mercy. We're going to talk all about that here in just a moment. In the meantime, patriots, one thing we do want to do is make sure you're doing all you can to protect your wealth. Patriots, President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home. Quote, Our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. End quote. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar. Inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times. Gold. And you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't have to pay a penny out of pocket. Just text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the whole process. The folks at Birch Gold are amazing. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Protect your savings with gold like I did. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. Text BARDS to 989898 to get your free info kit on gold. Again, text BARDS to 989898. This is one of those decisions you will never regret. Do it today. All right, Patriots. So, you know, we just got so much going on right now in our nation. It's all divided, designed to divide us. And we all have our differences. And I'm not in any way getting soft on stupid because I really can't, I don't have any room for stupid in this time. But I also know that where God is really leading us and we start talking about having to deal with children isn't going to be done by one party or the other party. It's going to be done by all of us, and it's the only way it's going to succeed. And we are going to have to find a way to build bridges and temper our response to things, be patient, and to help awaken many people. And I think that's the biggest shift for me in the last two weeks is that while on one hand we're fighting against a crazy insurgency in this country, and it is one, it is the attack on children ultimately, but it's also the elites. Unfortunately, with that, we see a lot of people that are getting wrapped around the support of these. And too often what's highlighted are those of a specific party, which would be the Democrats. But that isn't exclusive. And I think that's the part to really look at is we have a ton of people in the MAGA movement in this country that took the shot. And we have a ton of people in the independent section of this country that took the shot. We have millennials and Gen Z that are advocating for sensitivity to transgenders, regardless of party. And we're starting to see really the reality of where we are, that much of this party falsity is starting to fall apart, but it's being used to reinforce divisions and hatreds between us. And that's really where we have to settle back 
and become the children of the Most High and not the subjects of this world, because ultimately we're not of this world. It requires an unbelievable resolve. I'm, I've read some passages last night, which we're going to read again tonight, just because they have so much importance to where we are. And one of those is Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man and appears straight before him, but its end is the way of death. Our frustrations that they are working overtime to try to manifest and try to entrench deeply in rifts within us are rooted in Proverbs 14, 12. And it, what it does is it'll, it re- forces us to react with anger and hatred. I know this is always an extreme example that I use, but I'm bringing it to a point. Jeffrey Dahmer accepted Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that he gets to heaven, there's no accountability. Because really, the refinements of his life are going to be, as he's refined through the fires of heaven, so to speak, of purification, anything that was corrupt is going to be cast out. And I don't know what he's going to be left with, but what he's done in that moment of Christ and maybe a few other moments in between the horrors that he brought to this world will be what he is in eternity. What we do in the present echoes in eternity. And the greatest mission that we have above all is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. That's our primary mission. And when we work from that mission and then we abide in the commissions that God gives us, like Operation Vineyard, which is to rescue, heal, and restore the children, it pivots off of that fundamental mission, which is to share and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's difficult when you're around people that have such a negative or denied perspective on Scripture. I I can say that. I even experienced it in, in a call recently with, it was all... Democrats. And they're not, I mean, their views were really interesting because in listening to a call that I was on, it was incredible to witness the fact that they were saying the same things that those that have been seeking truth have been saying for years. But there was a, there was a couple things missing. One was a willingness to look across the aisle and to realize that this was not new that there were people there with a lot of experience that would open their arms and to truly bring them in. And there was also just the, the lack of humility that comes about from walking with Jesus. I'm not telling you that none of them are have faith. I'm not going to tell you that just because you're a conservative, you're going to be a Christian. That's, the, that's one of those tags that people, that we get stuck with because of a media and a divisive hatred or just a, a brimming hatred for the American public that comes from an elite that think that they are so far removed from accountability and that they are the ones that are always in power. They're not used to being subject to the people. They are always the overlords of the people. So they promote this, this capsu- encapsulating tag, which people try, will end up running away from. They do it by, by do it with full intention. They point to the crazy Christians, they point to those Jesus lovers, and they tag them as you know, Christian nationalists or radical Christians or fundamentalists and all these things that they do, evangelicals. I even hate that term. And that's unfortunately used by Trump, and I have no patience for it because it has nothing to do with it. 
Our relationship is not by a religious title. It's by our relationship with our Savior. We are followers of Christ. That's simple. And within that broad, within that expansive body of people, we even find ourselves to be in a beautiful place where we have differences sometimes in the way we see Scripture, but it doesn't turn out to be hostile. It's an educational experience of listening and hearing the other ways the Bible has spoken to people. Remember, we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. But in this world that has been so hyper-intellectualized through the paradigm of, of, of universities and through a world that has been so entrenched in the religion of, a, of what they call science, the truth is beginning to escape a lot of people and what becomes what should be places to open cognitive capacities and greater debates gets anchored into rigid ideologies and blindness. And that is seen, not, it's not limited, let's put it that way, to one particular party side. It happens on both, and it happens on many sides. You know, we've talked about the Q movement, which the Q operation was one thing. The Q movement is, is at some points, I'm just like, what is your problem? Because they have become a worship. It's almost like the sacred book of Q, don't touch it, right? And that happens equally with people that are diehard, narrow-focused Trump supporters, I, I don't have any issue with who you support, truly. Well, I do. I shouldn't say that. Yes, I do. I have a major issue with who people support if they are corrupt and pedophiles, like so many of them are, or they're trying to find a way to turn this country upside down and burn it into the ground. But we're in an interesting place right now, which is what we've witnessed over the weekend, is that we've witnessed that Another truth teller that's doing the same thing to the Democrat Party, which is Robert Kennedy Jr., he's doing to the Democrat Party what Trump did to the Republican Party. What, is, what they did is they struck him over the weekend and then struck Trump today. They're trying to break the ability for people to hear truth and, most importantly, the potential that people might hear those truths and start looking at each other and saying, wow. We aren't so different. I watched a video today. It's one. It's just an awesome clip. And it was a black guy standing outside of a store. And he was asking for money. And so a, a white guy walks up and he's wearing a, a construction vest, kind of like one of those uh, roadside worker vests. And he's got a clipboard in his hand. And he says... Um, I understand that he comes up to him and he says, I understand that you're, you're soliciting for money. And the guy says, yeah. He goes, can I ask you why? He says, I'm trying to raise money. The black guy says, I'm trying to raise money for a ticket to Portland, Maine, for an airplane ticket to Portland, Maine. And the guy in the vest says, well, sir, I'm going to have to write you a ticket. I'm going to have to cite you. And the guy says, are you kidding? He says, no. He says, I'm going to have to cite you a ticket for, I'm going to have to give you a ticket for $500. And the guy is just almost in tears. He's like, what, man? He's like, he, just, he just can't believe it. And he hands him an envelope, and in it is exactly what he said. It was a ticket, an airline ticket, for $500 to fly to Portland, Maine. And what followed there was beautiful. It was beautiful. The black guy just reached around and hugged him and hugged him in tears. And... There was a, they did some surreptitious filming of him as he walked away. He, didn't, he was on foot, 
And he literally is walking on the side of the road, getting on his knees, raising his hands to the Lord. And thanking God for the gift. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that man understands where the blessings come from. This is really what at the core of who we are. There are forces in play to do extreme harm and damage and to leave us deeply rifted, hating, and never able to recover. And it's sad. And it's those types of people that we have to work hard to overcome. And we have to be bold enough to accept that some people are still caught in a paradigm that they can't see out of it yet, even though they're beginning to see truth. We've seen this a lot over the period of the Trump campaign where people that were following the Democratic Party line were so convinced and inoculated with the idea that Trump people were haters and racists that they were actually afraid to come over. And that, that they still reinforce that garbage in the media. And there are some people that are permanently scarred. But I said this last night, and I'm going to say it again. One of the greatest things that could happen in this nation is to have Robert Kennedy Jr. and Donald J. Trump run for president because the debates between them would just be so overburdened with truth that this current government would have no place to run. And there'd be no escaping it. And regardless of what comes out of it, there would be, I believe, a more respectable race and allow people to heal. And I could be wrong because there's always dirty players, but that's my personal belief. And I'm not being naive. I hate politics. Let's be clear. I've worked in politics long enough. And I've seen the acrid crap that goes on. I've seen the cheating. I've seen the vote stuffing and the dirty tricks they do. I was schooled on some of those just by some of the operatives that work in this country for parties. And it's complete, absolute horror shows of what they do. One, one operative was to me bragging about a method they did to keep a vote from happening. And they were working for the Republican Party, let's be clear. And their method to keep the votes from getting to the ballot was that they went out and the, the, the Democrats had run a bus to pick up people in the rural areas that didn't have transportation to drive them into the voter areas. So the operatives went out and flattened the tires on all the buses so they couldn't get to the ballot areas on time. I mean, when we hear about the horrors of voting, it's not one party, it's both. And even now, the Republican Party's bragging about how they need to start doing ballot harvesting. Two wrongs don't make a right. You don't win at any cost on this game. Because... In the eyes of heaven, we are trying to reset a nation back to the authority of kingdom, not to the authorities of institutions of men that are going to be innately corrupt and horrific for us to live under. And the time we're in is dangerous. It's very dangerous. Because this sort of irrationality is, is keeping us missing the unity point between us, and it's easy to manipulate one group to hate another. I mean, literally, the brown shirts are being built before our very eyes, and they're coming from the transgender movement that are being fueled up and diced up to believe that these other people hate them and that they're going to kill them and exterminate them. Let me tell you, you give those folks power, those young kids power, and you give them the authority to go out and confiscate and go out and do raids on houses, they'll sacrifice their lives for this with a vengeance because they believe truly 
that their mental dysphoria, their sexual gender dysphoria, their mental illness is normal and they will be empowered to go against what are truly the rock bottom, the rock base of this nation. So yeah, we're in dangerous times and it's going to require a, a lot of effort on our part to get past this stupidity and start uniting and it's not going to happen if we stay divided. And there's nowhere in that concept of politics and division that has anything to do with heaven or God. It just doesn't. Now, Patriots, just to mention here real quick, because we are dealing in a world of psychopaths. They are crazy. And these psychopaths are out here to do crazy things. They don't care what party they work with. And one of those things they will be glad to do and help you along, if you want, in fact, is to drop an EMP or something like that to cause a total disruption in your electronics and your household affairs. So if you head over to EMPShield.com, EMPShield.com, they have a site-wide sale right now of 10% off everything. But in addition to that, if you use your BARD's promo code, you're going to get $50 off in addition to whatever item you choose. And that's going to include free shipping. Now, these are American-made units. They've been tested at the best labs in the country, meeting the standards for EMP protection for, from DHS and DOD. They are absolutely an incredibly good investment for your home, for your vehicle, for your ATVs, for your RVs, for your static standalone generators, for your ham radio base stations, and even your solar panels. And this will ensure that if something happens, which includes not just EMP level 1, 2, and 3, but also lightning protection, with an insurance policy up to $25,000 and solar flare protection up to 228,000 amps. This is an, a, a security that you can put into your home and know that it's there. It's an insurance policy that is, is no real value if something like that happens. So check it out. Go on, head on over to empshield.com, empshield.com. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S and get $50 off in addition to the 10% site-wide sale that's going on right now. There is no easy way to get through the consequence of a psy war. And so I want to share a story tonight, and it really gets to the core of everything I did in Afghanistan. And it's a reminder to me on a couple of levels. In fact, I just, this story is brought forward because I just shared it with somebody in an email before the show. Most of my work, all of my work in Afghanistan at one level or another was built on engagements with people. And that means that I was doing a lot of having to do an enormous amount of learning to understand what we, what. I would call cultural intelligence, to understand how people operate, how they think, how they speak, the nuances of things, and what that implies. Understanding the functions of how they tell stories, of how they, and that was a big one, how their narrative works in their culture. If they're in Afghanistan, they're an oral history culture, so many of their lessons can be told in very quick references as if you were referencing scripture they can reference certain stories and paradigms of the old, and it will give them a whole rich text. So imagine if you, if everybody had the Bible literally memorized or at least knew where everything was in the Bible to where you could say to somebody just offhanded, you could say Proverbs 14, 12, and you could then make a comment about the importance of abiding in God 
And then you ended up with another comment towards a way towards that in this time that we're in Proverbs 24, six, which is in, in the comment of this, that's for your wise guidance. You can wage war. And in the abundance of wise counselors, there is a victory and there is victory and safety. And you were able to say something like Proverbs 24, six and ensuring that you have wise counsel. That whole story would evolve very differently if people, you would be able to speak very differently if people had a reference to scripture. Well, in Afghanistan, it is an oral history culture. So within tribes, that knowledge of old stories is deep and rich. And so understanding how they communicate and how narratives work with there is very, very important. One of those keys in understanding that is called the shura. And it's not fully, it's been inappropriately translated in a different number of ways in this, in this country. When they call it a town hall, it's kind of that. It's the gathering of elders, and but there's a lot of tradition and, and spiritual rules around this event. One of them is that it's a place where opposing sides, tribes, and this is where it comes from, the tribal society, tribes can come together and speak without the threat of violence. So with that, there is a requirement that when they come into a, this is a, usually a carpeted area, sometimes it's carpeted and tented above, you leave your shoes on the outside always, that's tradition, and any weapons you leave outside because within is a blessed and sacred space that they are not allowed to have any violence. That's, that's the rules. What goes on in the shura usually pivots around a decision that's already been made sometimes. But either way, there's key elders that will control the outcome of that regardless of what is spoken. But the big part of the shura, and this is why people misunderstand it many times, is they try to say that it's just it's just a pre-staged event or it's like a, carry, like a kabuki theater because the senior elders are the ones that either have decided or will decide regardless of what is said. But the function of this is very important because communities are allowed to come together and voice their opinion, even though they know that their opinion will likely not affect the elders whatsoever. It nonetheless gives them an ability to vent and communicate their positions on things and then the control or the rule of the elders then seals out the decision and everybody has spoken their piece and the decision is made. Like I said, there's a little bit of theater that goes along with this, but it's a way of keeping peace. So in the spring of 2010, I'm sorry, 2011, I did a singleton mission, which is just me and my interpreter. And I worked completely with Afghans. I broke away from the U.S. command and I went up to a place called Kunduz, which is north of Kabul, way north. And in that time, I it was an amazing trip. We went through some. We went through places that people to this to today don't usually drive. Um, one particular tunnel that's cut in the side of a mountain where the Russians first invaded Afghanistan. That was like one lane narrow and about a thousand feet down to your right. Pretty crazy. But, and we went through Taliban checkpoints and we went through good checkpoints and I stayed with different elements of the Afghan military and everything was on the local economy and we, meaning on the local with Afghans, no reliance on any American assets. And I went up there for a purpose 
to meet with an old Mujahideen commander who invited me into his home. And I lived with him. It was over a week. We lived together, and I shared all the meals with him, and I got to know him. And the whole function was to have a shura with the Taliban that were in the valley. Now, here's the catch on this. There's a couple things. The Taliban that were in the valley had no love for America, and it wasn't our fault either. It happened that two years prior, in fact, yeah, it was two years prior, there was a fuel truck, a German fuel truck that was driving through the valley that broke down. And as it broke down, the locals came out to do what any locals would do. And when you're paying $10 a gallon for gas, they came out on a broken down a, a NATO, what they call ISAF vehicle, and they started taking the gas. So the German response, instead of just letting it go, it's gas, it's no big deal, decided that the appropriate response was to say that it was Taliban, which it was not, and launched one of their tornado fighters and dropped a couple 500-pound bombs on the place and kill a whole bunch of kids, women, and, and, and adults in the village. So the Taliban set were there, but they really settled there in force, and they had no love for Western occupation. The Mujahideen commander had no love for the Taliban because the Taliban, that particular faction of Taliban, had killed his son. So there's a few odd things going against an idea of brokering peace here, let me tell you. But the biggest thing is it's really, when I say abide, this is really was the mission, to broker peace. And part of that is learning to listen and understanding that there's going to be some pretty ugly things said. The beauty of the shura was that we could create the shura, and it was. The Mujahideen commander facilitated that, made the shura. They cooked huge pots of rice and, and goat and they had naan, the fresh naan. And the Taliban arrived. And they arrived, and I'm trying to remember, there was something that happened that was just really, it started to break apart. The whole thing started to break apart. And it was, and both sides started to walk away before we even got started. It was just one of these moments I had an absolute fit. I mean, I was pissed at everybody, and I let them know it. And that rage that I showed caught their attention, and they agreed to come back. So we sat down in the shura, and over the course of about four or five hours of talking, venting, hearing about how bad each, each side was, this, the focus, as I began to listen to all this, everybody was saying the same thing. And they were all pointing outward to a problem, even though the problems they really had were internal. There was not any discussion about the murder of, of the son. It, was, it had to do with the CIA, or it had to do with occupiers, which would have been the current administration. And as I listened to this, and I realized I, I asked them a question, which was a pivotal point. And I said, listen, I said, do you guys understand how this political system is? It's working, works that you've now accepted? And they said, yes, we do understand. You install the people you want, and we have to deal with the same corrupt administrations as before, and, we're, and you're just empowering them, and we're getting destroyed. And that actually wasn't what was happening. So what I, I brought up is I said, well, that's not actually what's happening here. And I said to both, I said, the best thing that could happen to this region 
is if you would each run for office and you would start filling the political offices with your associated parties. And this discussion then went on for about an hour. But the result was an acceptance of opportunity and a, and a vision of hope. Now, what's interesting is this is a place that no American had been in for two years. And I went there by myself with the intention of brokering peace and to the benefit, I was able to record it and create a, a fantastic training product for the special forces teams that showed the whole process of the Shura. Impossible odds, seriously. Blood rifts that were driven by 500-pound bombs and the murder of a man's son. On the final morning, a couple of things happened. It just sealed the, the whole outcome of that event. One, the Mujahideen commander, as I sat in his private room sharing breakfast with him and my interpreter, looked at me and he said, I trust you like my son. And I respectfully, I said, thank you, but I have to ask why. I said, that's a huge honor and a huge thing to give somebody that you've only known for a week. And he said, all week long, you've eaten the food I've put before you. You've never questioned it. You never thought I was trying to poison you. You trusted me blindly. And here we are at the end of the week and a person that can do that can be trusted like my son. There's a big lesson there because God works with us the same way. The next thing that happened that only reinforced what I had said earlier about getting involved in the government is the local governor put out a word to all of his checkpoint guards that I was to be kidnapped. And that mobilized both sides, to assist in getting me out of Kunduz. After that breakfast, it was early, by the way, way before sunrise. About, it was about four in the morning. A car was waiting for me, and they put me in, in, one, in one vehicle. We went up the road. And I will tell you, I don't even know who was driving. I just know that the two parties that we had just been negotiating got involved to getting me out. On the second leg of this, as I drove up the road and they had to literally switch vehicles, we got through one checkpoint, then we had another vehicle waiting for us. We jumped out. I jumped in the back, and I put my shawl over my head, and I was put in the back seat with the other women. Now, let me tell you the trust that that requires because American, women, American men are not supposed to be anywhere near Afghan women. But I had earned the trust. And I was tucked in the back, and we were pulled up to a checkpoint with a guard that came in to find me, and he was sure it was me. And my interpreter was absolutely brilliant. He came up and started to knock on my window, and I had underneath my shawl a sawed-off shotgun because this was going to get bad if it had to. And my interpreter patted him on the back. He saw my eyes, and, he, and I was kind of looking down but looking at him, and he patted me on the, on the, the guard on the back. He says, no, 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 no. He says, that's, that's, that's the older man. He's the elder. Leave him alone. He's sleeping. And he takes him to the back of the trunk, and he opens up the trunk and had very 
subtly placed a whole stack of Afghan money somewhere. And the guard looked at it and the interpreter says, you can have it if you want. This, it's not a problem. And the guard took it, closed the trunk, and we got through. There was a couple more checkpoints. We were able to make it through. We switched a couple more times. All was good. That peace that seemed impossible lasted 18 months. Now, that may not seem like an eternity, but in Afghanistan, where peace usually doesn't last but about a day, 18 months is a lifetime. And the only reason it broke down is because of some horrific management by other operations up there that just destroyed things. And it wasn't Americans either. It was a bunch of retards from Europe that did it. But 18 months on one meeting in one week. And all of it was about truth. And all of it was about abiding. And the lesson given back was the rewards of what happens when you do abide. I shall trust you like my son. That metaphor is never lost on me. And it's a reminder I have every day when I deal with Father of just how important it is to what we do. This war for me is as real as it gets. I don't punch a bunch of hyperbole. I don't speak a bunch of garbage about trying to go hunt and kill people. I don't see civil war as any sort of option. I see that the greatest warriors are those that walk truly and abiding in God. There is an enemy out here. It's a ruthless one. It's the enemy going after our kids. And if that point comes, Christ has always ex already explained to us the crime and the punishment. So we'll deal with it when we get there. And that is simple. Those that cause harm to the little ones or cause them to do sin, they would be better to have a rope around their neck and a millstone and cast into the sea. I get that clear. Check that box. And that gives us green light. But everything else, including the stories of the adulteress and the accusers, what we see is mercy. And only when God speaks specifically to actions or crimes does it to deal with things like Joshua dealing with the one who sacks the temple, Joshua and his army going in and, and destroying Jericho. Those were directed by God, and they people and his children become the extension of his justice and judgment. But the abiding, and you look at Joshua and around Jericho, the abiding was circling that city seven times and seven times on the seventh day. And because too many people in the teach scripture lack a knowledge of the tactics and operations of siege warfare of any time, they miss the subtleties that are, don't have to be spoken but are there within the text. You're walking around a city, of a walled city. You're walking around with an ark, and it's a military force that's walking around. They all knew very well that they could have been engaged in a vicious counterattack. They could have had spears thrown at them, pots of boiling oil poured upon them, Pots of, of liquid tar poured upon them. They could have had other siege weapons used against them. All of that was part of the era. And it would, it would not be possible for a soldier not to know that going into a march around a city, knowing that you are doing something of a siege offensive attack to a city and that they would likely respond if they felt threatened. And yet they abided. They abided in what God said. So we, we love to focus on the walls falling and going in and slaying every man, woman, and child, which is another aspect we'll get to in a second. 
But the reality is that the, the most treacherous part of that fight was walking into the unknown and seeing these walls of a city and knowing that they had the high ground and you were below and that you could have become part of their of the consequences of war and have little recourse. But God told them to do that and they abided. And after seven times and seven times on the seventh day, those walls fell and again they abided. This isn't some long-distance warfare where you're shooting somebody at 800 to 1,000 meters or, for that matter, even 50 or 100 meters. This is close-quarters combat, swords, axes, maces, knives, clubs perhaps, maybe other things, and shields. And they swept through that city and killed every man, woman, and child, and donkey. I want you to think about the impact that that had to have on every soldier. But in the end, they weren't affected because they were abiding in what God gave them to do, and he protected them. We have a massive challenge ahead of us right now. It's, it's massive. And this challenge is not going to be an easy one for us to overcome or do. It's a country that has been deeply rifted, divided, cut up, emotionally broken by a the most intense psychological operation ever waged against humanity. It has turned family against family. It has had family members die to where it leaves rage in some people's heart, pissed off and wanting to seek vengeance. It has has influenced parents to make the decision to castrate their children that haven't even had a chance to have a choice as an adult to have a child, and they never will again. The consequences of this war are, are the most treacherous we've ever imagined. And as much as I've, I've repeated this before, but I'm not in any way sitting here glorifying in this comment, the sad part is I saw this coming in 2012. I knew exactly where we'd be, that the worst in the sense that there was going to be a psy war directed against the American public when I briefed this at Fort Meade. And it was going to be a combination of corporate and public partnerships, and they were going to use every division and of, of hatred that they could build and cause as much damage as they could with information that in the end would make an atomic war look easy. And that's where we are. But here's what we have and they don't. We have our Father, and we have a commission to rescue, heal, and restore the children. And when you follow that out of all the things that that touches and impacts, it becomes exceedingly clear that that kernel of all things heals everybody in the end. But we have to abide. And that means that no matter how small or large the steps may seem, if we are abiding in that walk, we are doing as Father wants The bigger mission is unfolding, even though we may not see it. It's the parallel that many times what we want to see is a boulder thrown into a pond, meaning a big splash and a lot of big waves off to the side. But if you take a small pebble and you flip it into a pond, you'll see some ripples, but you won't realize that those ripples will actually go all the way to the shore, even though it's a tiny little pebble. It just won't be visible to the eye, or at least not easily visible. When we look around at all the things that are happening with God right now, in his direction, his guidance, the prayers that are happening, doors that are opening, healings that are happening, 
These are no small events, and they will become greater as we abide more in Him. But this is also a moment in time when so many deceptions are happening, and they are being designed to keep us apart. We have got to find the center point. We have got to shred this political division. Because what's at stake is humanity and what's at stake is a nation. I was talking to Michael Yan this morning. And he called me from overseas. And there's a, a camp down outside of Houston. This camp is being built to house 200,000 illegal aliens. And this is their holding camp for their replacement strategy, one of many. This war is very real. And what they're counting on is that we can't come together. They will continue to hate each other and point each other's fingers at one being Democrat, one being Republican, one being a, a rhino Republican, another being a, an old school Democrat or woke Democrat or whatever. They want all these divisions in play. The handful of people that are really the transgender movement, which aren't that many in the nation proportionally, but they're loud and vocal and they're being protected so their voice gets elevated and we're always looking at them as they still go after our children. This fight we are in is about the future of those children. And while I believe that we can overcome this, we could just as easily fall to the demise of the story of Habakkuk, which means that we become enslaved. That's our will and that's our choice. And ultimately, the difference between victory and failure in this war is going to be on our ability to abide in Father. All this other noise and distraction has to be, has to be cast out. And I personally believe, and this is for you to take to prayer, I personally believe that the commission that was passed to me to pass to Bard's nation was intended as a commission for Bard's nation. And that that calling to rescue, heal, and restore the children is so much bigger than the children because it leads to us as a nation, it leads to us as a world. And so the place that people ask and then we go back to is where to begin and where we begin is in prayer and where we begin is in abiding in what comes out of prayer but we have to abide in him. There's a lot at stake right now. And it can be overwhelming. But I go back to the story of Afghanistan. There was impossible odds sitting there. I didn't go up making weeks and weeks of preparation to go up and get all parties to the table and do a diplomatic event and fly in all sorts of stuff. We made the contact we arranged the contact over a couple of months, but the meeting itself took only about a week to pull together. And it was just me and my interpreter. That's it. And that's why I went outside of the U.S. support. I knew what I could deliver back to the U.S. command, but I didn't want to be connected with them because I knew they would be an albatross rather than a, a help. So I made that choice. And I knew the consequences of that choice. Because if anything had happened to me, there was nobody coming to get me. And that's the truth. That's the rules of that operation. Do not, do not get caught. Do not get captured. Do not humiliate us. And do not humiliate the United States. But if you get caught or captured, no one's coming. 
It's called being a deniable asset. And it worked because the risk was worth it. The trust was had to be there. And abiding in him was a center point of everything. Anything is possible with Father. And that's the thing to remember, that in spite of everything we're looking out here, we cannot see the view the Father sees. We can't see the many people that are stepping up quietly into the positions of school board and librarian and and getting into the places of county commission and getting hired into county offices and city offices and people that are running for office. There's a tremendous amount of awakening in the love in Christ. And even though there's a party line that separates us right now, I can tell you from what I've witnessed that the other party, that party that we can't seem to look at each other clearly, is seeing the same things. We just can't seem to get rid of this wall that sits between us for us to sit down and break bread. But there is one group that can make it happen, just like Joshua's army. It's Bard's nation. Because we may be impassioned about this nation. We many and most have impassioned views politically. But we know who we abide in and through, and that's Father. And he doesn't give a rip about politics. He doesn't care about the divisions and rifts. He simply wants his children to come home together in one body, the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and thank you for the blessings that you put before us. And tonight, Father, I, I'm praying for the nation, for the, for the country, but in particular for Bar's nation. And what I'm praying for, Father, is just an, a massive anointing to fall upon each person of clarity and inspiration to be able to abide in you to such a fantastic level that the steps that we take are all focused on rescuing, healing, and restoring the children of this nation. And for those around the world that are listening, let that blessing and anointing fall upon them just as well. The mission does not change by border. It is global. Rescue, restore, and rescue, heal, and restore the children. And so, Father, that's happened so much is the question of where do I begin? And so as I continue and close this prayer, I pray openly, and I say these things with the authorities given to us by Jesus. We ask you, Father, to please give clarity to each step, the steps ahead for each person, so they can see where they fit and where they go. Thank you, Father, for these blessings. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. This is an amazing time to be alive. And there's amazing things happening. And Father's moving in such a big way. And the biggest issue is for us as a people to be able to coexist, to be able to get past these ridiculous political divisions, to be able to start seeing truth. And for those that are truly walking with an intimate relationship with Christ, to be able to be there to help others see what that is like. We're not getting anywhere when we're going to throw stones at one person or another because, well, you don't believe in Jesus. That's not our commission. 
commission for what we have before us immediately is to rescue, heal, and restore the children. But the mission beyond that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say judge and condemn. And so we have to become the force of Christ, that they can witness what it's like to have the living Christ before them through us and to witness the God of miracles through us in our prayers. That's some pretty good stuff right there. And it's what we can do. So patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something Let me get back in my body Oh Close to me, look how